0: CHAPTER five OF GREAT EXPECTATIONS by Charles Dickens This LibriVox recording is in the public domain The apparition of a file of soldiers ringing down the butt ends of their loaded muskets on our doorstep caused the dinner party to rise from the table in confusion, and caused Mrs Joe, re-entering the kitchen empty handed, to stop short and stare, in her wondering lament of gracious goodness gracious me what's gone with the pie the sergeant and i were in the kitchen where mrs joe stood staring at which crisis partially recovered the use of my senses it was the sergeant who had spoken to me and he was now looking round at the company with his handcuffs invitingly extended towards them in his right hand and his left on my shoulder excuse me ladies and gentlemen said the sergeant but as i have mentioned at the door to this smart young shaver which he hadn't i want a chase in the name of the king and i want the blacksmith and pray what you want with him retorted my sister quick to resent his being wanted at all missus returned the gallant sergeant speaking for myself i should reply the honour and pleasure of his fine wife's acquaintance speaking for the king i answer a little job done this was received as rather neat in the sergeant insomuch that Mr. Pumblechook cried audibly, "'Good again!' "'You see, blacksmith,' said the sergeant, who had by this time picked out Joe with his eye, "'we've had an accident with these, and I find the lock on one of them goes wrong, and a coupling don't act pretty. As they are wanted for immediate service, will you throw your eye over them?' Joe threw his eye over them, and pronounced that the job would necessitate the lighting of his forge fire, and would take nearer two hours than one. "'Will it?' then you will set about it at once blacksmith said the off-hand sergeant as it's on his majesty's service and if my men can bear a hand anywhere they'll make themselves useful with that he called his men who came trooping into the kitchen one after another and piled their arms in a corner and then they stood about as soldiers do now with their hands loosely clasped before them now resting a knee or a shoulder now easing a belt or a pouch now opening the door to spit stiffly over their high stocks out into the yard all these things i saw without then knowing that i saw them for i was in an agony of apprehension but beginning to perceive that the handcuffs were not for me and that the military had so far got the better of the pie as to put it in the background i collected a little more of my scattered wits would you give me the time said the sergeant addressing himself to mr pumblechook as to a man whose appreciative powers justified the inference that he was equal to the time it's just gone half past two that's not so bad said the sergeant reflecting even if i was forced to halt here nigh two hours that'll do how far might you call yourselves from the marshes hereabouts not above a mile i reckon just a mile said mrs joe that'll do we begin to close upon em about dusk a little before dusk my orders are that'll do Convicts," sergeant asked mr wopsle in a matter-of-course way aye returned the sergeant Two. They are pretty well known to be out on the marshes still, and they won't try to get clear of them before dusk. Anybody here seen anything of such game?" Everybody, myself excepted, said no, with confidence. Nobody thought of me. "'Well,' said the sergeant, "'they'll find themselves trapped in a circle, I expect. Sooner than they count on. Now blacksmith, if you're ready. His Majesty the King is.' Joe had got his coat and waistcoat and cravat off, and his leather apron on, and passed into the forge. One of the soldiers opened its wooden windows, another lighted the fire. Another turned to at the bellows, the rest stood around the blaze, which was soon roaring. Then Joe began to hammer and clink, hammer and clink, and we all looked on. The interest of the impending pursuit not only absorbed the general attention, but even made my sister liberal. She drew a pitcher of beer from the cask for the soldiers, and invited the sergeant to take a glass of brandy. But Mr. Pumblechook said sharply, give him wine mum i'll engage there's no tar in that so the sergeant thanked him and said that as he preferred his drink without tar he would take wine if it was equally convenient when it was given to him he drank his majesty's health and compliments of the season and took it all at a mouthful and smacked his lips good stuff eh sergeant said mr pumblechook i'll tell you something returned the sergeant i suspect that stuff's of your providing mr pumblechook with a fat sort of laugh said Ay, aye why because returned the sergeant clapping him on the shoulder you're a man that knows what's what do you think so said mr pumblechook with his former laugh have another glass with you hob and nob returned the sergeant the top of mine to the foot of yours the foot of yours to the top of mine ring once ring twice the best tune on the musical glasses your health May you live a thousand years, and never be a worse judge of the right sort than you are at this present moment of your life. The sergeant tossed off his glass again, and seemed quite ready for another glass. I noticed that Mr. Pumblechook, in his hospitality, appeared to forget that he had made a present of the wine, but took the bottle from Mrs. Joe and had all the credit of handing it about in a gush of joviality. Even I got some, and he was so very free of the wine that he even called for the other bottle, and handed that about with the same liberality when the first was gone. As I watched them, while they stood all clustering about the forge, enjoying themselves so much, I thought what a terrible good source for a dinner my fugitive friend on the marshes was. They had not enjoyed themselves a quarter so much before the entertainment was brightened with the excitement he furnished. And now, when they were all in lively anticipation of the two villains being taken, and when the bellows seemed to roar for the fugitives, the fire to flare for them, the smoke to hurry away in pursuit of them, Joe to hammer and clink for them, and all the murky shadows on the wall to shake at them in menace as the blaze rose and sank, and the red-hot sparks dropped and died, the pale afternoon outside almost seemed in my pitying young fancy to have turned pale on their account, poor wretches at last joe's job was done and the ringing and roaring stopped as joe got on his coat he mustered courage to propose that some of us should go down with the soldiers and see what came of the hunt mr pumblechook and mr hubble declined on the plea of a pipe and ladies society but mr wopsle said he would go if joe would joe said he was agreeable and would take me if mrs joe approved we never should have got leave to go i am sure but for mrs joe's curiosity to know all about it and how it ended as it was she merely stipulated if you bring the boy back with his head blown to bits by a musket don't look to me to put it together again the sergeant took a polite leave of the ladies and parted from mr pumblechook as from a comrade though i doubt if you are quite as fully sensible of that gentleman's merits under arid conditions as when something moist was going his men resumed their muskets and fell in mr wopsle joe and i received strict charge to keep in the rear and to speak no word after we reached the marshes when we were all out in the raw air and were steadily moving towards our business i treasonably whispered to joe i hope joe we shan't find them and joe whispered to me i'd give a shilling if they'd cut and run pip we were joined by no stragglers from the village For the weather was cold and threatening the way dreary the footing bad darkness coming on and the people had good fires indoors and were keeping the day a few faces hurried to glowing windows and looked after us but none came out we passed the finger-post and held straight on to the churchyard there we were stopped a few minutes by a signal from the sergeant's hand while two or three of his men dispersed themselves among the graves and also examined the porch they came in again without finding anything and then we struck out on the open marshes through the gate at the side of the churchyard a bitter sleet came rattling against us here on the east wind and joe took me on his back now that we were out upon the dismal wilderness where they little thought i had been within eight or nine hours and had seen both men hiding i considered for the first time with great dread if we should come upon them, would my particular convict suppose that it was I who had brought the soldiers there? He had asked me if I was a deceiving imp, and he had said I should be a fierce young hound if I joined the hunt against him. Would he believe that I was both imp and hound in treacherous earnest, and had betrayed him? It was of no use asking myself this question now. There I was on Joe's back, and there was Joe beneath me, charging at the ditches like a hunter, and stimulating Mr. Wopsle not to tumble on his Roman nose, and to keep up with us. The soldiers were in front of us, extending into a pretty wide line, with an interval between man and man. We were taking the course I had begun with, and from which I had diverged in the mist. Either the mist was not out again yet, or the wind had dispelled it. Under the low red glare of sunset the beacon and the gibbet and the mound of the battery, and the opposite shore of the river were plain, though all of a watery lead colour. With my heart thumping like a blacksmith at Joe's broad shoulder, I looked all about for any sign of the convicts. I could see none. I could hear none. Mr. Wopsle had greatly alarmed me more than once, by his blowing and hard breathing. But I knew the sounds by this time, and I could disassociate them from the object of pursuit. I got a dreadful start when I thought I heard the file still going, but it was only a sheep-bell. The sheep stopped in their eating and looked timidly at us, and the cattle, and their heads turned up from the wind and sleet, stared angrily, as if they held us responsible for both annoyances. But except these things, and the shudder of the dying day in every blade of grass, there was no break in the bleak stillness of the marshes. The soldiers were moving on in the direction of the old battery, and we were moving on a little way behind them, when all of a sudden we all stopped, for there had reached us on the wings of the wind and rain a long shout. It was repeated. It was at a distance towards the east, but it was long and loud. Nay, there seemed to be two or more shouts raised together, if one might judge for the confusion in the sound to this effect the sergeant and the nearest men were speaking under their breath when joe and i came up after another moment's listening joe who was a good judge agreed and mr wopsle who was a bad judge agreed the sergeant a decisive man ordered that the sound should not be answered but that the course should be changed and that his men should make towards it at the double so we slanted to the right where the east was and Joe pounded away so wonderfully that I had to hold on tight to keep my seat. It was a run indeed now, and what Joe called it, in the only two words he spoke all the time, a winder. Down banks, up banks, and over gates, splashing into dykes, breaking among coarse rushes. No man cared where he went. As we came nearer to the shouting it became more and more apparent that it was made by more than one voice. Sometimes it seemed to stop altogether and then the soldiers stopped. When it broke out again, the soldiers made for it at a greater rate than ever, and we after them. After a while we had so run it down that we could hear one voice calling, "'Murder!' and another voice, "'Convicts, Runaways, Guard! This way for the Runaway Convicts!' Then both voices would seem to be stifled in a struggle, and then would break out again. And when it had come to this, the soldiers ran like deer, and Joe too." The sergeant ran in first, when we had run the noise quite down, and two of his men ran in close upon him. Their pieces were cocked and levelled when we all ran in. "'Here are both men,' panted the sergeant, struggling at the bottom of a ditch. "'Surrender you two, and confound you two for wild beasts! Come asunder!' Water was splashing, and mud was flying, and oaths were being sworn, and blows were being struck, when some more men went down into the ditch to help the sergeant and dragged out separately my convict and the other one both were bleeding and panting and excrating and struggling but of course i knew them both directly mind said my convict wiping blood from his face with his ragged sleeves and shaking torn hair from his fingers i took him i gave him up to you mind that it's not much to be particular about said the sergeant it'll do you small good my man being of the same plight yourself handcuffs there i don't expect it to do me any good i don't want it to do me more good than it does now said my convict with a greedy laugh i took him he knows it that's enough for me the other convict was livid to look at and in addition to the old bruised left side of his face seemed to be bruised and torn all over he could not so much as get his breath to speak until they were both separately handcuffed but leaned upon a soldier to keep himself from falling "'Take notice, guard. He tried to murder me,' were his first words. "'Try to murder him,' said my convict disdainfully. "'Try and not do it. I took him, and I'll give him up. That's what I've done. I not only prevented him getting off the marshes, but I dragged him here. Dragged him this far on his way back. He's a gentleman, if you please, this villain. Now the hulks has got his gentleman again through me. Murder him? Worth my while too, to murder him, when I could do worse and drag him back.' The other one still gasped. He tried. He tried to murder me. Bear. Bear witness. Look here, said my convict to the sergeant. Single-handed I got clear of the prison-ship. I made a dash and I done it. I could have got clear of these deaf cold flats likewise. Look at my leg. You won't find much iron on it. If I hadn't made the discovery that he was here, let him go free. Let him profit by the means as I found out. Let him make a tool of me afresh and again. Once more... No, 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 if I had died at the bottom there, and he made an emphatic swing at the ditch with his manacled hands, I'd have held to him with that grip that you should have seen safe to find him in my hold. The other fugitive, who was evidently in extreme horror of his companion, repeated, He tried to murder me. I should have been a dead man if you had not come up. He lies, said my convict, with fierce energy. He's a liar, born and he'll die a liar. "'Look at his face. Ain't it written there? Let him turn loose those eyes of his on me. I defy him to do it.' The other, with an effort at a scornful smile, which could not, however, collect the nervous working of his mouth into any set expression, looked at the soldiers, and looked about at the marshes, and at the sky, but certainly did not look at the speaker. "'Do you see him?' pursued my convict. "'Do you see what a villain he is? Do you see those groveling and wandering eyes?' That's how he looked when we were tried together. He never looked at me." The other, always working and working his dry lips and turning his eyes restlessly about him far and near, did at last turn them for a moment on the speaker with the words, "'You are not much to look at,' and with a half-taunting glance at the bound hands. At that point my convict became so frantically exasperated that he would have rushed upon him but for the interposition of the soldiers didn't i tell you said the other convict then that he would murder me if he could and any one could see that he shook with fear and that there broke out upon his lips curious white flakes like thin snow enough of this parley said the sergeant light those torches as one of the soldiers who carried a basket in lieu of a gun went down on his knee to open it my convict looked round him for the first time and saw me i had alighted from joe's back on the brink of the ditch when we came up and had not moved since. I looked at him eagerly when he looked at me, and slightly moved my hands, and shook my head. I had been waiting for him to see me that I might try to assure him of my innocence. It was not at all expressed to me that he even comprehended my intention, for he gave me a look that I did not understand, and it all passed in a moment. But if he had looked at me for an hour or for a day, I could not have remembered his face ever afterwards, as having been more attentive. The soldier with the basket soon got a light, and lighted three or four torches, and took one himself, and distributed the others. It had been almost dark before, but now it seemed quite dark, and soon afterwards very dark. Before we departed from that spot, four soldiers, standing in a ring, fired twice into the air, Presently we saw other torches kindled at some distance behind us, and others on the marshes on the opposite bank of the river. "'All right,' said the sergeant, "'march.' We had not gone far, when three cannon were fired ahead of us, with a sound that seemed to burst something in my ear. "'You are expected on board,' said the sergeant to my convict. "'They know you are coming. Don't straggle my man. Close up here.' The two were kept apart, and each walked surrounded by a separate guard. I had hold of Joe's hand now, and Joe carried one of the torches. Mr. Wopsle had been for going back, but Joe was resolved to see it out, so we went on with the party. There was a reasonably good path now, mostly on the edge of the river, with a divergence here and there where a dyke came with a miniature windmill on it and a muddy sluice gate. When I looked round I could see the other lights coming in after us. The torches we carried dropped great blotches of fire upon the track. I could see those two lying smoking and flaring. I could see nothing else but black darkness. Our lights warmed the air about us with their pitchy blaze, and the two prisoners seemed rather to like that, as they limped along in the midst of the muskets. We could not go fast because of their lameness, and they were so spent that two or three times we had to halt while they rested. After an hour or so of this travelling we came to a rough wooden hut and a landing-place, "'There was a guard in the hut, and they challenged, and the sergeant answered. "'Then we went into the hut, where there was a smell of tobacco and whitewash, "'and a bright fire, and a lamp, and a stand of muskets, and a drum, "'and a low wooden bedstead, like an overgrown mangle without the machinery, "'capable of holding about a dozen soldiers all at once. Three or four soldiers who lay upon it in their greatcoats were not much interested in us, but just lifted their heads, and took a sleepy stare, and then lay down again. The sergeant made some kind of report, and some entry in a book, and then the convict, whom I call the other convict, was drafted off with his guard to go on board first. My convict never looked at me, except that once. While we stood in the hut, he stood before the fire, looking thoughtfully at it, or putting up his feet by turns upon the hob, and looking thoughtfully at them, as if he pitied them for their recent adventures. Suddenly he turned to the sergeant, and remarked, "'I wish to say something, respecting this escape. It may prevent some persons laying under suspicion along o' me.' "'You can say what you like,' returned the sergeant, standing coolly looking at him with his arms folded. "'But you have no call to say it here. You'll have opportunity enough to say about it, and hear about it before it's done with, you know.' "'I know.' But this is another point, a separate matter. A man can't starve. At least I can't. I took some wittles up at the village over yonder, where the church stands, almost out on the marshes. You mean stole? Said the sergeant. And I'll tell you where from. From the blacksmith's. "'Hulloa,' Said the sergeant, staring at Joe. Halloa, Pip! Said Joe, staring at me. It was some broken whittles, That's what it was, and a dram of liquor and a pie have you happened to miss such an article as a pie blacksmith asked the sergeant confidentially my wife did at the very moment when you came in don't you know pip so said my convict turning his eyes on joe in a moody manner and without the least glance at me so you're a blacksmith are you then i'm sorry to say i've eat your pie god knows you're a welcome to it so far as it was ever mine returned joe with a saving remembrance of mrs joe "'We don't know what you have done, but we wouldn't have you starved to death for it, poor miserable fellow-critter, would us, Pip?' Then something I had noticed before clicked in the man's throat again, and he turned his back. The boat had returned, and his guard were ready, so we followed him to the landing-place made of rough stakes and stones, and saw him put into the boat, which was rowed by a crew of convicts like himself.' No one seemed surprised to see him, or interested in seeing him, or glad to see him, or sorry to see him, or spoke a word, except that somebody in the boat growled as if to dogs, Give way you, which was the signal for the dip of the oars. By the light of the torches, we saw the black hulk lying out a little way from the mud of the shore, like a wicked Noah's Ark, cribbed and barred and moored by massive rusty chains. The prison ship seemed to my young eyes to be ironed like the prisoners. We saw the boat go alongside, and we saw him taken up the side and disappear. Then the ends of the torches were flung hissing into the water and went out, as if it were all over with him. Chapter five